everyone, welcome to another episode of Slice of Healthcare. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. On this episode, we actually will have my co-host, Magda Masri, or Maggie as we call her, which is really great. And our guest is going to be Angie Ohanu, a nurse anesthetist from the Georgia area. Very excited to talk a little bit about life, healthcare, nurse anesthesia, and healthcare innovation with Angie and Maggie. So without further ado, let's bring them both on and start the conversation. Hi, Angie. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, good morning. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. A little gloomy around Boston area today, but I guess it makes... It's gorgeous in Atlanta this morning, so (laughs) I can't do the same thing. Oh, geez. It's always nice out there, though, isn't it? Well, this past week has been kind of um, all over the place with rain and storm, um, even thunder, but now it's starting to get back to being hot Lanta. Yeah, now you're probably good for the next six months. Exactly. (laughs) Awesome. I I think it'd be great if you gave the audience just a quick intro. Um, Obviously, you just said where you're from, but what you're doing right now, uh, where you went to school, a little bit about you, and then we'll go into some questions. All right. Well, um, my name is Angela Ohanu. Um, I actually go by Angie. I'm originally from the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I moved to Georgia right before I started undergrad, where I went to Georgia State and got my BSN. Um, and then I worked two years in the pediatric ICU at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Um, at that point, I went on to CRNA school at Augusta University's program, also known as Medical College of Georgia, did an MSN, graduated in December of 2017. And then I started practicing um, about an hour south of the city, um, doing obstetric anesthesia, pediatric anesthesia, general, and uh, trauma anesthesia. Interesting. And what what would you say led you to choose the CRNA path? Um, So my husband um, and I met in nursing school. And so for him, he went to nursing knowing he wanted to become a CRNA. And he actually introduced the profession to me at that point. So he encouraged me to go ahead, go into the ICU, start shadowing in the operating room. So I had the opportunity to shadow a transplant procedure when I was a nurse extern. And that's really at that point is what started me on the path to want to become a CRNA. It's uh, Maggie here. And I was just wondering, were you too competitive in nursing school? No. Um... He was a um, accelerated student, and I was traditional, so we had one semester of overlap. Um, he was one of those people where he always wanted people to do more, and he could see your potential. And so I was unsure if I wanted to do nurse practitioner um, or actually become a camp counselor with a medical camp that I was serving at a nursing school. And he was like, well, why don't you think about anesthesia? I feel like you do you would be really good at that. Um, and I was like, eh, I'm not quite sure. Um And so I'm glad I listened because honestly, I don't think I would have went there immediately. Probably would have took me a few years to come around to the idea of it. Um, But he himself, yeah, he is very competitive. Uh, Why are you passionate about being a CRNA? Um, So I think what I love about anesthesia is one, it's a, to me, it's the culmination of an ICU nurse's experience, right? So in ICU, we manage patient's hemodynamics. We manage the airway. And so when you think about your intensivist, your respiratory therapist, and your registered nurse that all make up our three larger components of the um, care team in the ICU, we essentially do all of that all in one as an advanced nurse provider. And 
if you feel like you're kind of stuck and you know you don't want to go into management or you know you still like the pace of the ICU, but you want a little bit more diversity in what you do, I, CRNA is that. Like, I don't know how people don't make that next step for them if they don't, if they don't see that. Because to me, I feel like it's everything I've always wanted and more. I manage my, I make my own decisions for as far as to care for my patient. I choose the drugs. We're surgically inducing a unstable patient and you're basically trying to manage a patient who is stable. And um, well, you're trying to make them stable essentially by, what's the best way to articulate that? You have a patient who you're going into surgery and that is something that's induced. And so now we're trying to keep you at a, um, at a stable standpoint and get you safely from the beginning of induction to the emergency of anesthesia. Um, so yeah, that's why I think I'm so passionate about it. Very cool. Uh, in, in your practice or in your state rather, I've seen a lot more MD mm-hmm. groups. Is that, is that like a, a thing around your area versus the care team model that's rapidly expanding across the U.S.? So um, I would say yes and no. So generally with the anesthesia, we have your care team model, you have CRNA only, and you have of the care team model too, you have supervision versus medically directed. Um, in Atlanta, we have what you call anesthesia assistants. So they are in the Atlanta area and some other areas are considered mid-levels like TRNAs. And so you would have your anesthesiologist as the supervising or medically directive provider. Um, so that standpoint for us in Atlanta, it's a little bit more tightly controlled. And so that's much more common in your big institutions in the city. I wanna say going almost 45 minutes outside of the city. And then within the city too, you have your smaller, let's say surgery centers that may be MD only, it's very small practices. And then when you start getting about 45 minutes outside the city, you'll see um, ACT still, but they'll be medically supervised and or CRNA only, depending on what you're seeing or the type of practice that's going on. Um, and I feel like if you go, if you go another hour outside the city, you almost will exclusively see pretty much CRNA only or supervision where it's to the point where supervision is so lax where the MDs and the CRNAs are almost practicing as colleagues versus a supervising uh, capacity. Yeah, and it's definitely nice when that can be the case uh, where both sides get along really well. And like you said, are, are like colleagues, which which is how they are everywhere, but not how it's always it always works right how it functions (laughs) exactly yeah what uh what's the benefit of having the aas obviously you said they're very popular down where where you are uh what does their role look like um so their role in function is very similar to what the crna may provide in the um in the hospital setting, the pre-anesthetic evaluation, maintenance of the patient, emergence, um, pre-op and post-op. However, their scope is, their their licensing is very different from ours. So I'm not going to say there's a benefit. I mean, there's still another institute provider, but they're not the same as us. We can work independent. We're trained differently. We're nurses first. Okay. Whereas they can't work independently. Correct. correct. They can only, I believe as of right now, maybe 18 states, they're allowed to be licensed to work. They have to work directly under a physician. Um, you'll, you will never see an AA who is working um, 
as a locum independently or as running our own clinic without some type of um, MD they can work under. Interesting. Uh, what, what are some of the goals that you've set for yourself in life and then also in your career? Um, life goals, I would say, um, I really enjoy beauty and anesthesia, which are two very far different concepts when you think about putting them together. Um, but I think for the average woman in healthcare, we are very focused on our profession and our family lives. So beauty is an aspect that really tends to be on the back burner. Um, and so I kind of want to bring back the focus of feeling comfortable in your skin and kind of bringing that world with the beauty market to the anesthesia market slash healthcare market. Um, but then from a professional goal, um, my husband and I just started our own freelance anesthesia business. And then I'm hoping to join him after a couple of years of experience and doing some freelance and then also get into cosmetic fillers. Interesting. Um, are, are you, are you yourself locoming now or are you a W2 employee? W2 employee, I'm not locoming yet. Okay. And same no, way. he actually does uh, W2 and 1099. Interesting. We're actually, uh, we're going to have a financial planner uh, in one of the upcoming episodes that talks about the differences between those two and, and why locoming can make sense in many scenarios and, and why for some w2 is the best avenue so i think that'll be a really good podcast to have someone that's a, a pro in that that area really draw the line between the two. i think that would be great because i think that was um one of my friends who's graduating from pittsburgh's uh, program in december of this year she was asking me um coming out as a new graduate they're offering 1099 for her um and so she wanted to know my opinion and i said well, i really can't speak freely on it but my husband wasn't doing uh, freelance at the time. And so we're just starting getting into it and trying to find our accountant who will, you know, do our taxes quarterly versus annually, like the W-2 and just kind of all the pitfalls that can come along with it if you're not aware. But because he works part-time at a hospital, he still has his benefits. We do pay for his malpractice independently. So those little things that you wouldn't have if you went W-2, because normally it's included in your package when you sign a contract with a group. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not an expert on that area, but I uh, W-2 or 1099 job. Obviously, you're not getting the benefits with the 1099, but you do tend to get paid more. So I, if you're definitely smart about where you're investing that and how you're saving that extra money, um, there's definitely some interesting things you can do with it. But I will let him speak to that. I'm not... <laughs> I'm not in a position to give any type of advice on that, but that's, that's my thought when I look at this. Situation. No, I agree. I think that's actually, I think it's accurate too. And also when I was a student, I worked with a lot of uh, CRNAs who did locum tenens and they said the most, the biggest thing what draw, drew them to being a locum besides the income was the flexibility that it gave them that they weren't confined to with being a W2. So it's an interesting talking point. Yeah. And I think you're going to see more of the, 1099 lifestyle you see it with like the ubers and the lifts and the millennial generation likes that flex schedule option where they get to pick when they work you know they set their own schedule so i would say that's going to grow even further than it is even today which is crazy because it's already pretty big right. today 
I definitely think so. And I think with millennials also really seeking to do entrepreneurship much earlier in their profession, I think that's really an, um, advantageous for going out, but still having a solidified job where, you know, you can fall back on until you feel like your your own business is either consistent or taken off where you can make sufficient income for yourself too. Angie, in your opinion, um, what are some things that you think need to change in healthcare? Um, so I think that there needs to be, so pain is a big um, topic going on, obviously with the opioid crisis. And so when I did my master's um, project, I did mine on um, morphine consumption and the use of IV Tylenol and its effects postoperatively. And I think there's a lot of issues with pain control. And while I do think one option is opioid free, I do think a big aspect from a healthcare provider standpoint is really education and what adequate pain control looks like and really having a better way of analyzing patients' pain, really finding their baseline. That is one of the big JCO um, uh, points normally every year is pain control for the patient, but I feel like we're still not really doing a great job of setting the expectations for patients. Now, because I do obstetrics, that's a big thing when I go in to do an epidural or a spinal for a C-section or for labor is really kind of setting the expectations of what it's going to fix, what it can't fix, and what if it fails and what we can do to help relieve pain and I find that patients that really didn't have the explanation before, or like when they come in, it's their second time having a child and they're complaining about what happens. And then I said, well, did they explain that to you previously? Oh, no, I didn't know that. So it, to me, it really helps with expectations to kind of really communicate that. When, when you're doing these epidurals, what are you using to, uh, to place the epidural? As far as my local anesthetic or the technique? Uh, the technique. Oh, so I do a loss of resistance using air as my preferred technique. Okay, interesting. Um, have you ever heard of Ravana? No, I have not. So I'm I'm really big into like the the tech space and reading about all the new technologies coming in. So I have no affiliation with them or anything, but from what it looks like, so it it's a pretty interesting device. It, it looks like this is what they're saying on their site, but the world's first ultrasound based system designed specifically to help you apply spinal and epidural anesthesia with automated detection of epidural location and depth. It, it looks to me like uh, I was never a big fisher uh, fisherman, but when I, when I go, I, I'd use this technology that would let you know how shallow or how deep the water yeah. was. And it looks like that tool, but for epidurals, which is interesting. You know, um, so I went to Twinos Anesthesia's um, nerve block class. And so they actually were showing a little bit about how you can use um, ultrasound to help with epidural placements. So that is the, I want to say the new trend because ultrasound now is almost the standard of practice for doing nerve blocks and or doing central lines, especially for insurance to actually reimburse for them. And so I feel like I've been hearing it. I've been seeing it a little bit. I would not be surprised if that starts to become something that's encouraged to the point where it's almost a gold standard. Yeah, I mean, whenever, whatever is going to allow the patient to have more comfort and allow for the epidural to be placed more, more timely and efficiently, I'm sure it wouldn't be something people would shun at all. <laughs> so it'll be 
it'll be interesting to see how that works out. No, definitely. I know it seems, because the argument I hear about it sometimes, oh, well, you know, who has enough ultrasound for that? Well, it's more time consuming, but I mean, generally when something's new, it's going to be time consuming. It's going to be a learning curve and you know what I'm saying? So, but I do, I do think that there Absolutely. is going to be an interesting benefit, especially for your patients who are um, larger and you have a lot more space to actually traverse with your subcutaneous fat. So that would be an added benefit. Um, very much so for the anesthesia provider. Absolutely. Angie, if you weren't a, CN a CRNA, what profession would you pursue? Oh, I would still be in nursing, um, pediatrics for sure. Um, I have a love for uh, medical camps. So Children's Healthcare of Atlanta does medical camps and I did Camp Braveheart, which is the cardiac camp for kids age seven to 21. And then I would do the um, transplant team camp, which would take liver, kidney, and heart transplant children um, out. And we would help um, get them transition between the four, age of 14 to 21 before they went to Emory's adult transplant program. Um, and I loved doing that. I bring my husband out. I bring my friends. And uh, that's one thing I missed. And so I'm hoping to get back into it now that I'm done with school. Um, but I'm really passionate about children with uh, transplants and heart defects and really kind of help them just go through life and figure out, you know, coming from a kid and learning how to cope with that through the also struggles of being a young adult with a transplant and not being able to really do the same things that a normal young adult would. And you can't take those risks because you risk potentially putting yourself in rejection and ending up in the hospital or worse. Cool. Um, what advice do you have for other people looking to become a CRNA? One, um, keep your grades up. That's a big thing is I know a lot of people don't always feel like they're going to go back to school because they're fatigued from nursing school, but really aim to have, be the best that you are in school. And while you're in nursing school, be active with your nurse, try to get a nurse externship, try to get a nurse tech position, and then work in the ICU. It'll be much easier to land an ICU job with those things on your resume. And then while you're in the ICU, take the hardest patients as soon as possible. Really try to grow and read. Read your two, read one or two ICU books that are for your specialty. Um, and then in nursing school, really just be an avid, um, an avid reader, and be really uh, aggressive in your learning because it's expected of you now that you're in a master's or doctoral program, for sure. Well, that's great. Thank you, Angie. I I'd like to kind of come to a, a close with talking about uh, what's next for you and uh, and then we'll talk about your social media page okay. and go from there uh, so what's what's next what's uh what's next for what um so my hope is to have an event and uh, be able to just kind of introduce a lot of aspiring crnas to some local Atlanta crnas who love to share and give back um starting my Botox um, program and being able to start cosmetic fillers. And then um, hopefully really just kind of increased my skincare influence and just taking more time to just go back and start doing more reviews with skincare and make recommendations and really kind of submit myself and be in the uh, medium between skincare and healthcare. Interesting mix for sure that's very cool um i can tell you're passionate too about all of that which obviously helps if that's something you're <laughs> going to pursue right i mean it, it sounds simple but we don't always pursue uh, what we're passionate about and it's a shame when
direction. So when we can pursue what we're passionate about, the, the chances of success and the chances that we're going to stick with it. No, go no definitely. I think a CRNA school kind of gave that to me. I, I enjoyed CRNA, but it was so stressful. And for me, beauty became something that could be anyone I wanted to be. It was just a way to relax and unwind in the evening from a long day at clinical. And so, you know, if you can mix, you know, mix your two passions together and make it where things that people generally would think are complete opposite spectrums and associated together, you know, it's, it's the perfect love, essentially. Absolutely. So where can our listeners follow you, learn more about you? If you want to talk about any social channels or websites, whatever you want to let us know. I'll also put it in the show notes. Awesome. Um, so I'm only on Instagram for right now, but um, be on the lookout for the website coming in the future. Um, but my um, Instagram handle is at Fuchsia ENG. And I'm always available for questions. Um, I post pretty regularly on there. And I always like to share or talk about other people who are in the same field as me, who are just as passionate, who may have um, a different perspective than I do um, with anesthesia. Right now, I have a campaign called hashtag my CRNA journey, where I'm basically asking other CRNA and SRNA colleagues to share their start with uh, becoming a CRNA. And I'll repost it on my page so different um, people can be able to enjoy and see that we all come from different walks of life and have different obstacles that um, have not stopped us from becoming a CRNA or getting into CRNA school. Angie, uh, real quick, because you just mentioned that um, my CRNA journey. I noticed something on your Instagram that got blocked. Yes. So um, when I first started it, I was a couple of my followers had messaged me saying that um, the Instagram had said it was blocked for inappropriate content or flagged. And so at that point, I made a post, tagged Instagram, and messaged them also along with a few of my followers. And they were they unblocked it, but it was very bizarre. I never got an answer from Instagram saying why it was blocked either. Yeah, I when I when I saw your post about that, and I thought of like all the possibilities, like why it could. Nothing matches up with that hashtag at all, which is weird. Um, it, that's all situated now. It is. Um, it was very bizarre. I'm hoping that it was just a false algorithm um, error. And I know that, you know, Instagram has changed their algorithm and even YouTube has too, where they're flagging things that are completely out of context to what would be considered inappropriate. So I'm hoping that was the cause. Hopefully. Yeah, well, that's good that it's all taken care of. Um, it's kind of, it's, I mean, it's kind of funny it, too. I'm <laughs> glad that it got taken care of. What? I like, Oh, yeah, I thought it was crazy. But, you know, now it's like I said, it's one thing where, you know, we're really trying to take the courage, the youth, but even the millennials, uh, you know, I'm really passionate, like I said, about anesthesia and being coming to CRNA. And so um, after I did the uh, resilient nurse takeover, it's so to me, it was really big hearing everyone talk about not feeling like they were the ideal CRNA candidate or they felt like their life situation, either having kids, being divorced or just like they didn't have enough money saved up would stop them from becoming a CRNA. And I'm like, oh no, I know these people who've done these things and actually have had even worse situations. And if you don't believe me, let me get them to share. Um, and so for that to be blocked was just like, why would you wanna stop people sharing what's made them who they are and, and why our profession is so amazing because as nurses, 
we can sympathize with our patients. We know what it's like to have all these things and then be sick and we're here to take care of you. And we have our own journeys um, that will not just empower us, but also inspire other people. You absolutely will. Um, excited to see your future content. Excited for this uh, when this finally launches. And uh, we'll have to have you come on. Uh, obviously, you're, you're still relatively new into the field once you've been into the field for a while to hear some of these insights that you've you've gained and uh any tip any additional you have for others in Definitely. the field awesome well thank you so much for for joining us on slice of healthcare we really appreciate it and thank you for having time. me thank you you're welcome Thank you to everyone who tuned in for another episode of Slice of Healthcare. Please be sure to follow us on our social channels. On pretty much every social channel, it's at Slice of Healthcare. On Twitter, it's at Slice of HC. We don't use that much, but we will answer if anyone tweets at us or sends us a message there. Also, for those of you that are listening on iTunes, please be sure to head over to iTunes, leave us a rating slash review. We'd really appreciate the support and feedback. And if you're interested in being a a guest on the podcast, please reach out at uh, sliceofhealthcare at gmail.com or send us a message on Instagram or any of our other channels, and we'll get right back to you. Thanks, and everyone have a great day. The podcast you just heard was published with Anchor. Got something you want to say to the creator of this show? Send them a voice message using the Anchor app, free for iOS and Android.